Welcome to After the Bell with your host, Laura. This podcast is a series of conversations with educators, leaders, and lifelong learners with the hope of deconstructing some of the stereotypes around education. My objective as a teacher is to focus on the passion, humanity, and hope around education and to provide a platform for the myriad of voices that have something to say and teach us all. If you would like to know more about me, please head to my Instagram page at educatinglaura. Hello everyone, thank you so much for joining me today. This episode is coming out on the 5th of September 2022 and this marks officially over two years of doing this podcast. So I have a little announcement which is that I am putting the podcast to rest for a little while and you can obviously see this year that my commitment to getting fortnightly episodes out has not been great and ultimately the reason is because since remote learning and lockdowns have been over. I mean, obviously the life that I lead in real time, in real life has become busier and busier. And although it has taken probably six months for the students in my classes to really connect with school after having so much instability in remote learning, the fact that they now are quite committed means that I really have to bring much more of myself to the classroom. And it's, yeah, it's just not... I never wanted this podcast to become work and at the moment I'm finding that to organize a podcast, to edit the podcast and to put it out, it's just something that is another thing on my plate at the moment, which I I never wanted it to be that because it's always been a really great outlet for me. It's been something really exciting to be able to talk to these amazing people and I'm not saying that I won't do episodes. I just think at the moment it's definitely not something that I can commit to. So I would suggest that if you do enjoy the episodes – please subscribe so that if a random episode comes out and I do have one more after this one that I want to do with a really awesome educator. I think many of you will know. So it's going to be a very real chat. And so if you aren't following me on Instagram, can you please follow me there at educating Laura and you will have all the updates as to when this final episode will be coming out and any sporadic episodes that I decide to do in the meantime, you know, with people that I meet along the way or connect with or particularly interesting topics that I think you guys might like. Speaking of which, this topic is a great one. So it's talking about permission to teach for pre-service teachers. Because of the massive teacher shortage at the moment, we are getting pre-service teachers, which means teachers that are not officially qualified to come in and teach. So we've had student teachers come in and take actual loads of teachers that, you know, have had to go and leave without much notice. So we also have a number of teachers at my school and I'm sure many schools that are working as CRTs at the moment. And so this is my conversation with Wace. Wace was actually a student at the school that I teach at. And I do need to do a shout out because I taught his brother Masood for a couple of years and still catch up with him, still connect with him. So hello Masood, if you're listening, I hope that you are. And so Wace is on to talk about the process of permission to teach, what he's found really beneficial about it, how you can go about it if you are a pre-service teacher and yeah, the experience of uni currently and and during remote, remote learning. So this is a great episode. It's a quick one, but it's super informative. And as I said, if you aren't following me at Educating Laura, please do that because my episodes will not be scheduled anymore. They will just be as they appear. And as I said, I do have one that I am committed to do with a really awesome educator. 
that I will definitely get out this year. And then it will just be pretty much if I find something worth having a conversation about, then I'll chuck it up. Um, but definitely without any particular schedule. So thank you so much for being on the journey with me. As I said, it's been two years since I started this podcast. I started on the 8th of August, 2020. Thank you for being here with me. Follow me on Instagram and there will be another episode coming out soon this year. Hello, Waze. How are you going? Hey, Laura. Good, thanks. How are you? So this is our second attempt at this episode because we had some technical difficulties the first time, but I hope that this means that it'll be more streamlined and more supportive for people that might be interested in permission to teach, which is a new thing Yes, that Victoria is doing based on teacher shortage, ultimately. Yeah, best thing they've ever introduced in the teaching world for uni students. It's great. Love it. Awesome. So let's start with who you are and what you teach. Yep. So I'm doing a Bachelor of Education and Business, majoring in Accounting and Business Management at Monash. But my true teaching passion lies within maths. Love maths, love doing it, love teaching it, and just have to, just got a passion for it. So what is it about maths that makes you so enthusiastic? I just love the process of how math just works. Like there's always a solution. You can involve like real world examples into your maths. You can involve like chocolates and lollies and really grab the students' attentions. If you're a good math teacher, you can really grab the attention of all students. There's just so much you can do in the math classroom, uh, which gets me excited and gets the students excited. That's just not going to be a plain textbook sort of class. Maths to me equals a textbook. Because that's what we did when I was at school. It was like, okay, open exercise 5.1, do all the questions on the left-hand side. So you're telling me that maths is not like that anymore. Yeah, I had this, I had similar experience. It was, it was notes and it was textbook. But now, like, yeah. and like ICT has made maths better. Like this Kahoot quizzes, so many more interactive games you can play. And, like, students love just being on the laptop and they're just more engaged. And in the introduction of more problem-solving questions, more real-life examples. A bit challenging. However, like, it's always good when students see something they're familiar with and getting that to, relating that to math gets them more engaged. And just simple things like involving the sport they love or a pair of shoes. Like, I was doing examples on, like, Nike TNs the other day and kids loved their brought in chocolate into school for like terms and they just, they loved it and they're more engaged and feel like they learned better that way. So tell me about the process to learn to teach at university. So what has that looked like for you? Yeah, so a bit of a lengthy process. Four years if you do it straight and you've got to overload as well. But it's been a lot of theory, not enough practical. Like over the last four years of education, you do 30 days in your last year, 10 days in your third year, 10 days in your second year, and 10 days in your first year. So overall, you don't do as much practical work as you should have. Like if I didn't have my permission to teach and I went to school next year, I definitely wouldn't be prepared for the amount of practical work we've done versus the amount of theory we've done. And the theory is just what other people have done, what's worked for them, what they've put in practice. But then when you go into practice, like it's different students, different school, and it's just, it doesn't work. Like you don't, I don't think of back of my mind, oh, what did this guy do in this reading that I read? Like that doesn't come to my mind. Well, I think I said this to you the last time we attempted to record is that teaching doesn't occur in a vacuum, right? Like everything is so interactive. And as you now know, being in a classroom, even though you plan everything, there can be kids that get sick. There can be a fire drill. There can be somebody interrupting. My mentor used to talk about if it's a windy day, the kids are just different. They're like really unsettled and you kind of expected to get something done. And then 
oh, well, you know, there's a history incursion, you can't do it. So I think that all of those things that you read, they need to be able to be applicable straight away. Otherwise, they kind of just go, you don't sort of solidify them in your mind. Yeah, definitely. Like you read it, like from my experience, like I read it once, I do the assignment and then I'll never, ever go back to it. And it's a bit of a waste, like all that time at uni, the waste of money going into uni, learning about it at the time. Like I wish that time at uni could be spent more learning about things that we could do in schools or just being in a classroom. Well, I was speaking to this woman from America. Her name's Dr. Mary Hemphill, and she was saying that it's almost like a lost resource having all of these pre-service teachers in a university. They almost should be in schools. Like there should be programs that pre-service teachers run or develop, or maybe there's a problem that schools are having that they could actually go away and investigate and bring the findings back, the things that teachers don't have an opportunity to do because we're in the classroom working. Like, it's actually an untapped resource. Yeah, definitely. Like, just being in the classroom and having a second person in the classroom, like, changes the whole dynamic. As I've seen, like, there's a teacher there and then I'm there, the pre-service teacher, and the teacher just feels more efficient while I'm there. Like, I'm going around helping everyone while she's doing other things that she doesn't get to normally. Or when I teach, the teacher can sit at the back of the classroom and observe how the classroom is while I'm teaching. Like, so much more learning and teaching goes on with just an extra person, which will help a lot if we just get pre-service teachers in the classroom in their method and helping teachers out. So let's talk about the fact that you have been granted permission to teach, which means you are doing emergency teaching or relief teaching currently which is a good for your bank balance, I'm sure. So anyone that's thinking about it should think about it because the money is good. It's amazing, yep. Yeah, yeah. Like realistically, it is good money. The second thing though is what you've learned by in terms of your teaching that you can take with you when you are officially qualified for next year. So what has been some of the greatest advantages of permission to teach? Yep, best is just being being in the classroom, being in a classroom by yourself. It's so much better than being in a classroom uh, with someone watching you. Like I've learned so much being by myself, especially classroom management, being able to control a classroom yourself and learning that every class is different is so much better than having like teacher there. Because when, when you have your teacher there, they're sort of there to support you, but now you're by yourself. So everything's on you. You have to ensure that the kids are doing work. You have to ensure that the kids are behaving, following the school values. So just a massive learning curve is getting the students to do their work and having the classroom management, definitely. And then going on to next year, I've had all this experience. I can start where I left off last or now um, instead of having to start and learn all these classroom management skills and getting the students, what motivates students to do work. I've experienced all this now. And so next year when I go to a full-time role, I feel like I'm much more prepared. Let's talk about your classroom behaviour strategies. So what kinds of things do you do that you've developed yourself that work? Yep. The the best thing I've done is getting to know the students. First thing I do in the classroom, I mark the role, and then I just get to know the students, what they like, what they do outside of school. And building that relationship has shown me that if I have a good relationship with the students, they're more inclined to do work more inclined to respect me and prove to me that they can just because just because simply I care about them and I show that I care um, and they want to prove to me that they're smart and capable of doing the work and don't want to disappoint me because they like me and who I am. Mm-hmm. Is that something that you heard about at university? Yes. So in my first year, this lecturer, I'll never forget, there's one thing, one great thing that came from uni. The first year, the first thing she said to us in our first year was, there's the three R's of teaching, relationships, relationships, relationships. 
You just got to build those relationships and then content will come, learning will come. And then that's always been stuck in my mind. Well, like relationships has always been something that I've been good at doing. Like I've always loved building relationships with everyone, like outside of school, building friendships, going traveling, love building relationships. So relationships um, for me has just been something I've always done. And for me going into the classroom, it's like it just comes naturally. I don't have to think about it. It just comes naturally. And it just it just happened to work and, and I love it. It's good. I think that's another thing that people don't talk about is that whatever strategy you develop actually has to align with your personality because if you're trying to do something that is not natural and feels comfortable for you, then it's an act and you end up breaking or you end up being inconsistent. And the kids can kind of tell pretty quickly if that's not authentically who you are. And have you found that really important yes. to work with with who you are, Waste, and who, who you are in terms of your personality? Yeah, definitely. For me, always having a smile on my face, always coming to the class being happy and passionate about what I'm doing. It's always, I've, from what I've seen, it's always worked positively with the students. Like having a smile tends to make the students happy. And then in that bond, when I first walk in, always has had a positive relationship, positive effect with the students. And it's worked. So far, it's working. So I'm just hoping yeah. it works for the rest of my career. But obviously, it'll be um, road bumps along the way. But that's... Well, the, the irony is, is that the old saying was don't smile till Easter. Have you heard that? Yeah, yeah. I've, <laughs> a lot of teachers have said to me um, yeah, during placement, like, you can't smile till Easter. I'm like, yeah, I know, but I don't think I can help myself. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? It probably wouldn't work for you anyway because even if you tried, you probably just accidentally smile and then you'd be like, oh, no, I'm not supposed to smile till yeah. Easter. And the kids would just figure out that that's actually not who you are at all. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's not presenting who I really am. And then, yeah, and kids see that. Kids can see that so easily. And if you think about some of your most memorable teachers, do you think that it was the relationships that they cultivated that makes them so memorable to you? Yes, definitely. My favourite teachers were the ones who actually related to me, cared about me. They're the ones that I wanted to do work for, even though it wasn't my best subject. I wanted to prove to them that I can do better, that I will do better, do my homework, try and prove to them that I actually care about the subject, only because they cared about me my life outside of school and my interests and my hobbies. So let's talk about the process of permission to teach because I remember in our previous recording you were telling me that it's not straightforward. So I'm really hoping by the end of this episode people are wanting to go ahead and apply to get permission to teach as pre-service teachers, they can do that. So what do they have to do? Yeah, best thing, honestly, if any pre-service teacher listening, please do it. It's the best thing you'll ever do in terms of money, and experience, definitely experience. Um, and the money, he says, and the money. How much <laughs> <money>. <laughs> yeah. um, so you got to follow the steps. you got to follow the steps step by step exactly how they do it. So the final steps is if you just go on Google and type in recruitment online and the first link comes up with the education uh, website, click that. And then there's a link. If you scroll down a tiny bit, it says final year pre-service teacher ROL guide. Um, once you click that, this comes up with a couple of PDFs and the PDF you have to click is ROL support your school initiative, final year pre-service teacher. It's a um, PDF and it shows you exactly what steps to follow, where to go and what to do. When I did mine, I, I, I was really excited. So I didn't really follow the steps. I just did it what I thought was right. And then two weeks went past and I haven't heard anything. I'll call them and then they said, oh, if you haven't followed the steps exactly the way it was, they're not going to get back to you. So if I didn't call them, I would just waited and waited and they wouldn't have got back to me. So really important is 
you find that PDF ROL support your school initiative, final year pre-service teacher, and you follow that exactly the way it is. And then also hassle them. Like I've had um, friends who have waited two months to get their permission to teach. Hassle them. So keep calling. I'll put the phone number in the comments. In the below. show notes. We'll put, we'll put both the website um, and the phone number in the show notes, yeah? Show notes. Yes, definitely. So once you so there's two stages. Once you've done the education part, where they give you the permission to teach, then you have to register with VRT. So that's a whole other process. That's pretty straightforward. VRT send an email and you have to give in your identification, so a license, Medicare, and I think birth certificate. And then you need to get a teacher to sign it. Once that's done, then they have to do a police check, which may take a couple of weeks. Mine took, everyone says something different. Mine took a couple of days. One of my friends took six weeks and it was, it was just sitting there in the office. So she called them and said, hey, is my um, permission to teach ready? And they said, yeah, it is. And oh. they didn't inform her. So is, this, is this the VIT? After, after every week of the process. Yeah, the VIT are yeah, challenging VIT, in regards yeah. to communication. And I will say, even as a qualified teacher, every five years they do a police check on you. So, yeah. And the other thing I wanted to say, I mean, as a VIT grad, you have to do your grad year, but then after that it can be a random selection as to choosing someone to show all of their PD. Have you heard about this? Do you know what happens? So I'm assuming that they'll have a lot of pre-service teachers listening. So this happened to me and it's like a a ballot. So when you go in you and you reapply for your registration, you have to put in like how many hours you've taught and how much PD you've done. You have to do so much PD every year. And this particular year I was on maternity leave and so I hadn't done a lot of teaching. I'd done a little bit and um, had I done, you know, the amount of PD that I needed and I said, yep, no worries. And then it quickly spat back an email to me saying that I had to prove how much PD I had done. And I was like, oh, this is really tough. I'm on maternity leave. It just so happened that in that year I'd done some exam marking. So I had my PD, but it's a Uh, random ballot and they're really strict on it. So it's really important even as a grad teacher Every um, staff meeting you go to, every professional development you go to, anytime you go into someone else's classroom, even if you listen to an educational podcast like this one, you can put it down as PD. So just FYI, have like a notebook or have like in your chronicle or something, a place where you can put all that PD down because the VIT randomly will ask for it. So anyway, side yeah. quest with the VIT. Wait, thank you. But yeah, always hassle hassle the VIT after every couple of weeks, ensuring that they're doing it and they're on top of it or if they have it get them to send it to you one of my other friends it took him two months to get his vit just hassling with he just hassled vit after every week and yes i think you just got to hassle them until yeah. uh they say yeah. something. so for you how long did it take between opening that pdf and being able to actually teach yep so after i initially when i i did it didn't do it properly so from the second time i opened up that yeah. pdf followed it exactly it took me, I was pretty lucky, it took me two weeks. Okay, good. But it's taken longer for other people. Yeah, yeah taken, yeah, taken. So the whole process took me four weeks because I stuffed the first two weeks up. But then other than that, my friend who did it, it took her six weeks and then my other friend took like two months. So it really depends. I don't know what it depends on. Everyone's just different. Mm. And also you have to, the price has gone up recently to register. Okay. However... That shouldn't stop anyone. Like, this is the best experience you'll ever have in your final year. Like, take advantage of it. Do it. Go to different schools. I've been a couple of different schools, and it's just good to see how different schools teach or their period times, um, the support that you have. 
So yes, yeah, best thing I've ever done, and I fully support the school, uh, the government continue this next year. Yeah, and I hope they do. Well, from your experience, we have forty-five minute periods at the school that I work at, and that we work at together at times. What's your thought? Is that a good time? Do you like the longer times? What are you finding? I think that's. I think it's the perfect amount. Okay. Forty-five is like it's not. It's not too short and it's not too long and it's enough time for the students to actually be engaged in the classwork. I've been at school where they do an hour and an hour is just too long. Like okay. you can't expect students to sit down and listen and do work for an hour. I think 45 minutes is that little sweet spot. Okay. Good feedback. Good feedback. Okay. Yeah. So let's say that you ha- we have a person, they're in their first or second year of university doing education what do they need to know? What what advice can you impart to them? Sweet. Yeah. Get inside a classroom or do some kind of education support. So if you're going to recruitment online, if there's a tab on the left-hand side, if you click education support or integration aid, there are jobs where you can work in the classroom with um, students. But I, I did that last year and it changed my life. Like work, being in the classroom while at uni, I thought it was the best thing in the world. So definitely... Aim, aim to do one of those or even volunteer work. I did some volunteer work last year and just being in the classroom helped me so much, helped the school, helped the teachers and just helped me just being in the classroom. So anything you can do to do with kids, students or being in the classroom definitely helps. I know it's a bit hard, but getting that little earlier kicks to your career helps a lot along the way. Very good. Do you have any final thoughts any big lessons that you want to impart to the audience as a whole yep one thing that's worked for me which i feel like may may work for everyone is just build those relationships with kids do the little things like on the weekend i went to one of my students football games playing the grand final and i was just so happy to see me and like little things like that or like the kids are really into their football i don't really watch the football nor into it but i i watch it now on the weekends just so when i go to class the students have something to talk about and really getting to know your students and know what they do on the weekend. So if they have a sport coming out, ask them how the sport was or if it's an instrument or any other hobbies they did. Even if it's like going shopping with their friends, something as little as that, if you ask them, it just brings a big smile to their face and it just makes their day and they're more likely to learn and engage in your classroom. Thank you so much, Wes. We'll have all that information in the show notes. And it was fabulous to have you back. I'm glad we didn't have the tech issues this time. Thank you for having me on. Appreciate it.